0: if you got your Bibles today, turn with us to the book of Mark, chapter 9. Mark, chapter 9. And we'll prepare our hearts for the Word today. So, Father God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for your Word. Lord, I pray over the next few moments that we would just still our hearts, still our minds, push everything out, Lord, that we would just open your word with fresh eyes, Lord, to see it as you have written it, God, as you have placed it, Lord, to go into the depths of our hearts, God, that it would be uh, illuminating to us, God, that we would just receive, Lord, and go from this place, and Father, that one person can make a difference in the world through your word, God, that you took 12 men. And, Lord, you change the entire world. So, Father, you don't need armies and legions. You don't need churches of thousands, Lord, even though those are great things and we look for those things, God. But, Lord, what about the one who would just say, yes, God, I will pursue you. Yes, God, I will surrender to you. Yes, God, I search to see some great and mighty things in your kingdom. And, God, if you can use anything, use me. And somebody said to amen. 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 Words in Red Series, longing for greatness today. Longing for greatness. And we're going to be uh, in several Gospels today, and uh, they will be on the screen because this story that we're going to go through today uh, is in uh, all three of the Gospels, uh, Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and so we'll keep you up on that. But longing for greatness. Is it wrong to desire to be great? Uh, Everybody desires to be something more, I think, in some area of their life. uh, Little boys look to superheroes. You know, how many people did this when you were little? Guys, you ride around with a cape. Uh, little boys might look to superheroes, or little girls might look to those princesses. Uh, even adults, if we're honest, secretly imagine. When we watch those movies on the big screen, if I was Indiana Jones, this is what I would do. Or, you know, if I was him or her, I'd get rescued this way. Or uh, how, this is how I'd fight the bad guys. You, 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 you put yourself into those movies and those situations, those books, Uh, But in the real world, you think about greatness, even the student who studies all night long to get that degree, the athlete who keeps at practice and goes and uh, keeps practicing when no one else is there, Uh, the man who works long hours for his boss and his job or his company, Uh, that mom who strives and works all day long to put supper on the table when her husband is there to stay fit, to stay active, to learn everything she can for her kids, uh, and to be the best mom she can be. The dad who invests his weekends in his kids' ball team. And don't they all, all those people, long to be great? Great mom, great dad, great uh, business owner, great student, great educator. We all long for greatness in some sort of way. And great means to be above normal. It means to be significant, to be special, to be excellent, to be honored. And who really desires mediocrity? You know, we sometimes settle for it, but who really desires it? No one really is aiming for mediocrity. Even though we maybe not achieve greatness in certain areas, we, we don't desire to be nobody. We all want to be the best employee or the best mom or the best dad we can be. And Shakespeare wrote this one time. He, he wrote, Do not be afraid of greatness. Some are born great, some achieve greatness, and some have greatness thrust upon them. And I was thinking about that phrase, and it's, though it's not Scripture, I was thinking, you know, we all really, as believers, classify for all three. Think about it this way, that we were born again, great I am, that we were called by him to do great and mighty things, and that we have been thrust upon, given the ability and power to build a great and mighty nation, or his kingdom, that God has born us into his greatness, that he has called us, that he has given us the power and the ability, and so How do you and I measure greatness today? That's what we're going to discuss about. How do we desire greatness in God's kingdom? And what does greatness look like in the kingdom of God? Our topic today, God who defines greatness. He gives a great reward to those who desire to be great in His kingdom. But it comes through turning from our own ways in childlike faith and humbly serving others. So you got your Bibles, look at Mark chapter 9, verse 33. Who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? So we find ourselves today, let's just kind of, take, I'm going to kind of take you through the story. And so we are on the road with Jesus to Jerusalem. And we are approaching the second half of his ministry. And so that Jesus is there on this dirt road or paved road, and he is going across the country to Jerusalem. It's about a three-hour drive and a several-day walk. And so his disciples are following when they're doing ministry along the way. And along the way, Jesus has been talking to them about the cross. He's just introduced this for the first time just a chapter back, that he has got a plan, an aim, a goal, a prize that he is going forth. And he says that I am going to die, and in three days I will rise again. And the the Bible says that the disciples did not understand this. It actually bothered them and they could not comprehend it and they were too scared to really ask him. And so along the way, as Jesus is talking about, I'm going to die, I'm going to the cross and like we are right now, we're looking ahead into Easter and this fits so very well because we're with them on the road and so we're looking ahead and Jesus is looking ahead and just a a little bit longer, I'm going to go on that Passion Week, I'm going to die on the cross and meanwhile, In the back seat of their car, they were driving one. It would be the kids in the back seat. The disciples begin to argue. And what are they arguing about? Who would be the greatest? Who would be the greatest? Mark chapter 9, verse 33. And so they come to Capernaum. And so they are going back up again now. And he was in the house and he began to question them. What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had discussed with one another which one of them was the greatest. And sitting down, Jesus, he called the twelve and said to them, If anybody, if anyone wants to be first, he shall be last and servant of all. Everybody say, Servant. Servant. All right. Now I'm going to. Look on the screen with us. Luke chapter 9, verse 47 picks the rest of the story back up for a second. But Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart, he took a child and stood by him by his side and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him, the Father who sent me. For the one who is the least among you, this is the one who is great. And Matthew 18, verse 3 picks it up a little more. And it's on the screen behind us. Truly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Amen. At the context of the time in Jesus' day, many Jews uh, were, there was, you know, Jesus is in Israel and there's Jews in Israel, and many of them. Uh, since Rome had taken over in Greece before them, had begun to compromise with the pagan culture of the day. Idols were being set up and... pagan games were being set up, and uh, the politicians even began to own the, the priesthood and would bribe the next priest, and the priests were being elected by bribery and, and all these different things, and there was compromise. Compromise was the word of the day in the day of Jesus. And so there's one side of the context, and the other side, there were a group of people who were passionate for the kingdom of God. There were people who were driven for the kingdom of God, and some of these people Jesus had found in Galilee. They were seekers and searchers. They were looking ahead for the coming of the messiah they were saying no we're we're raising the bar on the status quo and we are looking for god to come and bring justice and we're going to be holy and we're going to read the the word of god and we're going to apply it to our lives and as for me and my house we're going to serve the lord and that's the status and jesus finds these guys who are zealous you know what i mean zealous passionate enthusiastic driven men and they follow him so man they're, they're looking." for God's greatness to reign down. They're looking for the kingdom of God. And in the back of the car, as they're driving down the road, they're stopping by Peter's uh, in-law's house in Capernaum, and Jesus hears them in the back seat arguing over who might be the greatest because, man, this is the day the Lord has made. You know, we're excited. God's going to do great things. His kingdom's going to come and kick out Rome and do some awesome stuff. And Jesus is seeing this and he, the Bible says that he perceived into their hearts and he takes this child uh, by the, by, in the middle of them and he shows this child and he says, if you don't have faith like this child, if you don't get humble like this child, if you don't become a servant to others and, and be obedient like this good child, maybe it may not have been some of our kids, but it was a good kid that they put in there, right? And, and so he says, whoever humbles himself as this child is the greatest. You see, they wanted to rise up But Jesus said the way to rise up was to go low. You think about it, Jesus, and I was praying about this, and I almost didn't preach this until God confirmed it with another person who called me. I have a scripture to bring to your mind, and it was a scripture I had literally just read five minutes earlier. So I knew that today was the day I should share this. Praying about this, I was thinking, God, well, you know, what is this really about? You know, I can talk about servanthood, and uh, we could take this morning. And go that route, and we will talk about this. But what I perceived about this in my spirit, and it was confirmed by the Lord, is that Jesus did not rebuke their desire to be great, but he redirected it. See, he did not rebuke people who were passionate for his kingdom. These men had already accepted to follow him, and he wasn't going to squash that. But he said, you've got to follow me in the right way. And I wonder sometimes if, our, if the thing that we're going through and we talk about our churches and we talk about our, our devotional lives and we talk about what does it mean to be a good Christian and a great Christian, I find that in the world today maybe it's not so much that we are worried about the servanthood or you know, we need to focus on the servanthood and we're going to talk about that. But before we even can get to talking about what greatness means, we have to talk about do we even have a passion for the kingdom of God? You see, they were already passionate, and it's kind of like that saying that, you know, wildfire is better than no fire, you know, it's like, you know, Brother Ron always talks about if your wood's wet and stuff like that, you know, it's like, I can work with people who've got a little bit of passion, because I can redirect them, and I can push them down the right road and give them some wisdom and advice, but people who are just dead, who don't care, that's like, how do you start that? And that's what Jesus has got here. He's got some really passionate young people. They're in their 20s. They want to see God do great things. They want to see God move mighty mountains. And he doesn't squash it. He encourages it, but he redirects it. And I love that, that he does not rebuke their inner desire to be great, but he changes their definition and their method of attaining greatness. He does not say, do not desire to be great, but he says, if anyone wants to be great. He must humble himself, become the last and the servant of all. In other words, it's be motivated for the things of God, but make sure you have a godly method. Be motivated for the things of God, but make sure you have a godly method. It's not today, I don't believe our problem, first of all, is that Christians uh, have the wrong methods, but it's that today so many people don't even have the motivation Don't even have the motivation to seek the things of God. And instead, we desire to be great, not in the kingdom of God, but in the kingdom of this world. And while others, on the other hand, bring their methods of greatness from the world into the church. And then we see, just like the disciples, what does it cause? It causes argument, disputes, and bickering in the backseat of the church. Mm. It's quiet. Amen. In what kingdom? And so that leads me to ask, in what, before we even get into what is greatness, we have to just say, what are we motivated towards? If there's something inside of all of us that says, I want to be a great mom, I want to be a great dad, I want to be a great student, I want to be a great coworker, I want to be a great employee, I want to be a great business owner... There's something driving in us. Maybe it's that I want to have a great house or you know, I want to do these great things in my life or it, I want to be a great grandparent. You know, we have something in us that says, no one says, you know, I want to be an okay grandparent. I want to be an okay dad. I want to be an okay mom and I'll just settle. No, there, we, we, even if we don't make it or achieve as much as we want, we do have that desire in us because there's a design in us, a godly design that God is great and he has made us In his image, the Bible says, and God defines greatness. He is the great I am. And just like the psalm we read this morning, that his greatness is unsearchable, undefinable, that God is great. And the Bible says he made us in his image. He put his own breath inside of us. He formed us with his own hand. And so we have been birthed and born again even today in greatness. It's a great thing that God has done in our life. And so there's greatness in our spiritual DNA. But the Bible says that we also fell into great sin when we decided that we wanted to be as great as the great I am. We had a great fall, and we have fallen into great sin. And so now what we have in our hearts determines where our motivation is, where our methods are, and what kingdom we seek greatness in. And so in what kingdom? I thought about it this week, and you think about it this way. Jesus knew what they were thinking in their heart. We all have that inner motive and that inner desire and that drive. And where we place our hearts determines if our desires will be holy or sinful. And look at this. Think about it in Europe. They drive on the left, right? In America, we drive on the right, most of us, most of the time, right? Depends on where you're at in the middle of the night here, apparently, on these dirt gravel roads. And so uh, in the Europe, they drive on the left, and here we drive on the right. And so it matters in what kingdom you're in, We're all driving somewhere, and we're all trying to get somewhere, but it matters what kingdom you're in, the method you use to get there, right? You follow me? And so in God's kingdom, you better be sure you're driving on the correct side of the road. If you're driving to get to greatness, and maybe you're driving to get to greatness in the world's kingdom, there's a way you're going to get there. But if you're driving in God's kingdom, there's a certain way Jesus is saying, you better be driving on the right side of the road. In God's kingdom all right and the disciples had brought the world's way of driving into God's kingdom they had the right idea man let's do something great for God I wish more people would say that I wish more people would come to church excited to do great and mighty things for God to see great and mighty things happen in Gina Louisiana that we would be like yeah let's do something for God But we have to be careful that we drive on the right side and say, this is how God brings greatness into your life. This is how God brings greatness into your marriage, into your finances. This is how God brings greatness into Gina, Louisiana, into Sanctuary Family Worship Center. And he says it this way. What's the character of greatness? The character of greatness. And he kind of does a combination here. Pride is one of the things that our world today measures in greatness. Man, the world's kingdom glorifies the pride of self. While God's kingdom glorifies the humility of self, man. What does pride say? This is what I look like. This is the clothes I have on. This is the makeup I wear. You look at the red carpets and the Oscars. This is—it's all about image. It's all about self. It's all about what I look like in the papers. It's all about how big my company is or how good our website is or you know what I'm doing, what kind of car I drive, what kind of house I have. It's all about pride. But that Jesus says it's. The opposite, humility, and the world thinks about competition. Man, you get on the news today. What is one news station doing to another news station? Man, it's cutthroat competition. The way to build me up is to cut you down, man. And that's what so many people. Jesus is warning us: don't bring that into the church. Don't bring that into your life and your Christian life to be uh, to build yourself up in the greatness of God is not to compete against somebody else. It's not to cut other people down. So the world kingdom's glorified competition. But God's kingdom glorifies a unity that builds one another up in love. Man, unity that builds. The world thinks about authority. It's about how high on the chain can I get. How many more people underneath me are doing what I'm wanting them to do. The control I have for others. If uh, The world says if you're great, others are working for you. But Jesus says here that greatness comes through serving others. So he tells his disciples to be as children and servants, you know, in the Aramaic, I don't know Aramaic, but they tell me that in the Aramaic, that children and servants are the same word. Why? Because if you're truly childlike, you will serve others. You think about a good, obedient child; they want to please their parents. They'll do whatever you. They'll believe what you say. They'll follow you and trust you. And if I put Ari off the, on top of the, the end table or on top of the, the bar, and I say jump, you know, she's going to come. She's going to trust. And so the children and servants, he's saying, you've got to have a heart of a person that is lowly. You know, children and slaves were the lowest of low in the society of Israel at that time. It was women, children, and servants. They had no rights. They had no no. They couldn't even sit in the same bleachers. They couldn't uh, sit in the same area of the church. If you came to church, your husband sat here and wives sat over there. Children, you know, you just needed to be quiet. And he says you got to be like the lowest of the low, the lowest class of the lowest class, the people who have no rights. And that's what he says. If you want to be greatest, where do you place your inner drive today? Are we focusing on building up our own image or the image of God? Are we competitive for better jobs and more money? Are we competitive for adding souls into the church? Hmm. Are we empowered by the authority and position over others? Are we humbled to serve one another under God's authority? I pray that we would be so motivated, so driven, so passionate, that even if we have some issues with how we're passionate, even if God has to come and correct us, we see that right here Jesus is compassionate to correct them. He's willing to correct us, but we have to be passionate. These, I look at these men and I think, thank God they followed. At least there was something there. It might have been wrong. It might have been skewed a little bit, but thank God that when they call, when he called, they answered. What I think what we need a lot more in our churches today is a little bit more fire, a little bit more passion, a little bit more drive. We say, God, I want to be kingdom focused. God, I want to see great things in Your kingdom. God, I want to be motivated, more passionate, more fired up, Lord, to see souls added in the church. God, to see Your church glorified, Lord, to see people come together in Christ, Lord, to see the church built up, and not just to attend and to give in a plate, but God, I want to see my own life go do great and mighty things. I want to see my family saved. I want to see my coworkers saved. God, I want to see, Lord, you come down in miracles and signs and wonders. God, I want to see you, Lord, save thousands, Lord, through our our work and the ministry here at Sanctuary. I want to see God do some awesome things. I don't know about you. I don't always feel it. I don't always have it always in me. I, I, wanna, I want God to just move me a little bit more. I want to stir up those gifts and say, God, Lord, I don't always have the energy for it, but God, please impart to me some desire for seeing great things in the kingdom. Amen. And so that's what we're talking about today. In what kingdom am I pursuing? I don't want to get focused so much on TV. I don't want to get focused so much on my house and my car and the things that I could add to my life. I want to say, God, I desire greatness in your kingdom. And then I look and say, wow, what's it going to take for me to get there? And he says, serving others. You know, the greatest danger. Look with me in Mark chapter 9, verse 38. Look down a little bit. He kind of comes back, and here we are. So Jesus says this to them. And uh, unfortunately, uh, seeking the kingdom, these disciples were focused on their own selfish plan rather than the plan of God. And they totally missed the idea and the point that they were on the road to the cross. And what happens when churches and Christians forget they're on the road to the cross? Bickering, backbiting, backstabbing, gossip, division, all this happens. And see, they were following Jesus to the cross. But along the way, they didn't remember. They, don't, they didn't get it. They didn't see it. And so John, in his own passion and zeal for signs and wonders and revival to come, he says, but Lord, look at here, verse 38. Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And he's like proud of it. And we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. Can you hear him? He's just like... God, man, we we are passionate. Man, we want to see revival come to Geno. God, we want to see souls. saved. we even told some of these people who didn't know what they were talking about because we tried to cast out demons a few chapters back and we couldn't. And so God, they're doing it wrong. We're doing it right. Aren't we passionate? And he says, no. He says, do not hinder him for there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name and be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is for, us. for whoever gives you a cup of cold water to drink because of your name as followers of Christ, truly I say to you, he will not lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones to, who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him with a heavy millstone hung around his neck if he'd been cast into the sea. They're like, who are these guys, Lord? These others trying to do the same thing we're doing. They're on our block. They're on our turf. And he says, don't hinder them. If they're not against you, they are for you. Again, though, Jesus does not rebuke their passion and their motivation, but he rebukes their method. He doesn't rebuke the passion inside of them for the kingdom of God, but he rebukes their method. You Think about this today in church unity. You know, there's no neutrality when it comes to Jesus right here. We see that you're either with Jesus or you're against him. And we are either with Him or we are against Him. And that goes on both sides, whether you're, you're not sure where you are. Well, if you're not sure where you are, you're either going to be with Him or against Him on that last and final day. And it goes, again, for us as churches in central Louisiana, one of the most divided areas I've ever seen in my life. Let's be honest. I'm from the outside. Coming here, I've seen... S- There's too many churches, let's just be honest. Can we say that in this on the pulpit? I know that there are, because that means that that we've split off so many times, we don't even know where people come from anymore. And so you look today, and there are so many churches in the world, not just here, but we're building them on so much pride, so much division, so much tension. Churches today across this nation compete over territory. Church members, they, they even look at one another and say, well, that's not a way you should reach out to evangelize people. That's not the way you should sing and worship. That's not the way you should preach over there. That pastor don't know what he's talking about, my pastor. And we begin to look at this and say, well, they're casting out this that way, and we're doing this this way. And, you know, they, they don't do it as well as they should over there. And, and it just becomes this system, and this is in the Bible he says, if they are not against you and your work for Jesus, then they are for you. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about what that church is doing. Don't worry about what that Christian is doing. You focus on building me up. You focus on serving and loving others. And remember, hey, guess what? We're on the road to the cross. Anybody miss this? We're on the road to the cross. You're, not even, you're looking to the right and to the left, and I'm headed down to the cross. It's about to be Easter. I'm about to give my life for the world. And you're focused on what that person is doing and what that church is doing and whether they have neon lights and whether they preach the way your daddy or mom or grandma's church preached or this is the way this song leader sings or this is the way that person has pews or pulpit, you know, it, it just becomes this whole competition, and we bring the world's measure of greatness into the church's measure of greatness. We begin to look at the world and say, well, I'm gonna go to the church with the greatest preaching pastor. I'm gonna go to the church with the greatest teaching pastor. I'm gonna look and see who's the greatest pastor in Gina, Louisiana, and I'm gonna begin to go to that church, or what church has the greatest music, and let's go to that church. Or what church has the greatest programs? And let's go to that church, and what is that? That's the world's standard of greatness. Amen? And Jesus is saying, what are we doing? We're measuring the church in God's kingdom by the standards of the world's kingdom. But greatness in the church is not the same as greatness in the world. What church is serving one another? What church is loving one another? What church is compassionate for the lost? What church is praying the most and and seeking God's face? And what church is not looking to anybody else, but just looking straight to the cross and to Jesus? Amen? And that's where we're going, church. Why do we try to build greater churches when we lose the lost? Are we building greater churches and losing the lost? Who desires greatness in God's kingdom? And who is willing to follow Jesus to the cross? Who's willing to serve and sacrifice for others and to be of no reputation? What if we were a church of no reputation? What would that look like? What would it mean in the world today? Looking, go down a little bit, and we're in Matthew 18, verses 7 through 10. Jesus picks back up again, and he adds, Matthew adds to this conversation. And Jesus says, The ultimate result of pride and competition in God's kingdom... The result of a church that is not cross-focused, the result of believers who are not cross-focused is that they cause little children of faith to stumble. They cause new believers who simply accept Jesus by faith to stumble. And he says this, he gives a great woe, Matthew 18 verse 7, woe to that man through whom stumbling blocks come. It would be better for that Christian who has caused other people to stumble by their different focus, by their non-cross focus, by their competition, by their religious pride, by their worldly standards of putting into the church. It would be better for those Christians and those churches who have caused young people of the faith, new believers of the faith who have judged them by their legalism and they have now left the faith, or who have come into church and saw so much bickering and hypocrisy and division and worldliness in the church. It would be better, Jesus says, for those churches and those Christians to take a chain, tie it to a large rock, and drown slowly in the ocean. That is the word of God. Because he says, whoa, that means he goes on to say a fiery pit, a fiery pit of eternal flames and weeping and gnashing of teeth awaits the people who call themselves a people of God, but measure greatness by the worldly standards and cause true people of faith to stumble. He says, if that is the case, you can go on. He, he talks about, and he says, if you find there is offensive things in you or offensive things in your relationship with others that cause people to stumble, he says, cut it off. Cut off those things that you think are so central to your faith, so central to the way church is done, so central to your beliefs, so central to your personality. Be willing to cut it off for the sake of not only your own soul, from saving yourself from hell, but because you are here to be cross-focused. Jesus-focused. How do people look at the way I talk about other churches? how do people look at the way I talk about other Christians? How do people look at the way you talk about other churches or other Christians? Do I, am I concerned in a competitive way? Am I comparing? Am I judgmental? Or am I just saying, I don't care to talk about other churches. Let's talk about Jesus. Let's talk about how Jesus has done something for me. They're an answer to God. It's between them and the Lord how they do church. It's between them and the Lord how they live their life. If I get Jesus-focused... They'll either get on board or they'll jump ship. Amen? And so Jesus is saying, What are you talking about? We're on the road to the cross. We're on the road to the cross. We've got greater things. I'm taking you to greatness. Let's do some great and mighty things. And so we focus on today kingdom greatness. Kingdom greatness. It's funny, though. It's like uh, if you remember, if we're going through the Gospels in. I'm not preaching on all of the things that I'm, 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 the Lord has been speaking to me because some of these things, Jesus is a repetitive speaker. Um, he, he would The things that we need to hear most, sometimes Jesus keeps saying, you ever had that happen before? It's like, God, I, okay, I, I've learned that lesson. He's like, no, you didn't. I'm seeking this again. And Jesus does this a lot of times. And here we find ourselves, look in uh, Mark 10, 43, just one more chapter over in Mark. We find ourselves on the same road, Going down to the same place, he just spoke this to us. And here we are, John and James, they're the brothers, they're the first, one of the first two people uh, of the four uh, called to follow Jesus. Passionate sons of thunder, man, sons of fire. These guys are passionate for Jesus. Man, they are just shaking the house down, revivalists. Man, they want to see uh, God come and reign and souls saved and people slain in the spirit and baptized and speaking in tongues. Man, they just see it all. They want to see God move. And their mom comes up to Jesus in Mark chapter 10, and he's, she's asking, hey, God, Jesus, you know, can you, can you put my sons up there with you in paradise? Can they be on your right and left? Can they be great in your kingdom? And John and James are kind of back there, you know, like, yeah, mom, talk to Jesus about this. You know, he was talking about greatness earlier. We kind of got in trouble, but I don't, they, didn't, they, just, they just didn't get it. And so here they are again, just a little while later, asking the same question. And I just want, you know, you wonder why Jesus had to say things, you know, how foolish, all stupid people, how long I have to be with you? The same thing we do to Jesus all the time. We just don't get it. And so here he is, and he asks them, he says, are you able to drink of the cup that I drink and be baptized with my baptism? In other words, are you, if you want greatness, I'm not, again, not turning you down for it. He's saying, I, you know, my Father will determine your reward in heaven. But... I'm not telling you it's wrong to desire greatness in my kingdom, but I have to ask you the question, are you willing to suffer and die for it? Are you willing? Man, I'm so proud that you're following me. I'm so glad that you're coming after me. I'm glad that you're eager for the things of God. But are you sure you're going to do it the right way? Are you really wanting to suffer and die to yourself? Are you really wanting to suffer worldly loss, to give up house and home, wives and children. Are you really certain that you're not going to, you're going to give up TV the way that the world watches TV? You're going to give up the way you spend your money. You're going to give up the way that maybe you dress. You're going to give up the way that you talk. You're going to give up the way that you choose your jobs and you buy your cars. You're going to give up the way that you budget your household. You're going to give up the way that you discipline your children. You're going to give up the way that you, you speak over the people who offend you. You're going to give up everything and you're going to be willing to die to your selfish ambition, your selfish pride, your selfish competition. Die to measuring yourself by the way that world measures your image and not care what the world thinks and be willing to be abused and slandered and even die a martyr's death are you willing to be that great because we're on the road to the cross and if i'm leading are you following and he says in mark 10 43 whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant and whoever wishes to be first among you you shall be slave of all and for even the son of man did not come to serve, or to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. If it was good enough for Jesus to die for other people, it better be good enough for me. If it was good enough for Jesus to give his life away, it better be good enough for me. Because if he's going low, I want to go low too. If he's giving all, I want to give all too. One author says it this way, while there's nothing wrong with aspiring to greatness... We must be careful how we define greatness and why we want to achieve it. It's not like political power or fame. If you look in the Bible, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, David, just like Jesus, all became servants before they became rulers. Who do we model ourselves over today? I know our church, we have some of the most humble people in our church. I'm so very proud to pastor sanctuary. We are in a boastful way, I feel, one of the most loving, caring churches I've ever been a part of, one of the most humble churches, so many humble saints in our church, and many today, who no one knows what they do behind the scenes, will be greatest in the kingdom of God. And are we all willing, together, to say, I'm abandoning my obsession with power, my obsession with ambition, of worldly ambition, and simply love and trust God. I love what D.L. Moody said once. He said, you can tell when a Christian is growing because in proportion to his growth in the grace of God, he elevates his master. The more he grows in grace, the more he elevates God and talks less about what he himself is doing and becomes smaller and smaller in his own esteem. We talk less about what we are doing and more about what God is doing. See God so much greater and myself so much less but like Paul, I love what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, run in such a way that's not without aim, but run in such a way that you may win and receive the prize. You see, the, the disciples were willing and passionate, driven, motivated to see God do great things. They were running with aim and purpose. But Jesus had to direct them along the way and said, don't bring the world's methods into my methods. And so, wherever you are today, worship team, if you'd come back, are you driving forward to gain something greater? Or are you like the religious compromisers of Jesus' day, the culture of Jesus' day that was just drifting? Just drifting, not quite sure where we're going, not quite sure what we're accomplishing, not quite sure what we're doing. But are we driven, 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 for greatness? And do we define greatness in the way that Jesus defines greatness, which is to be last and servant of all? If you don't want to be great in God's kingdom, what do you want to be? Think about that for a second. If you don't, you never thought about it, and maybe we've never thought about it. But if in the world today, if you don't want to be great, what are you doing? You're settling for less or mediocrity. You want to be a great dad? You settle. You don't want to be a great mom, you settle. Well, if we don't want to be a great Christian, what are we doing? We're not driven. There's no motivation. There's no passion. And we have to define greatness in the way that the Jesus does to be a child and a servant. Childlike faith, a servant of all. You know, just like in the world today, greatness doesn't happen by accident. What, what person in the Olympics gets there by accident? What person in the the big Microsoft businesses and the Apples and all that, they don't get there by accident. Greatness doesn't happen by accident. And just in Jesus' kingdom, you don't become least by accident. We don't just get humbled by accident. We have to pursue it. And that's my prayer today. And that's what I feel the Lord led us to speak on today is that are we pursuing greatness in the kingdom of God? Are we driven by seeing God do great and mighty things and understanding that I don't become the least on accident. I don't become a child of faith on accident. Jesus said to those disciples, He said, Unless you are converted and become like these children, meaning unless you turn away from defining things the way you define them, unless you turn away from your own desires, your own plans, your own ambitions, you will never be great in God's kingdom. Let me tell you, though, you have been designed, and, and, and it's in your DNA. God has made you wonderfully. You have been fearfully and wonderfully made. And he has put his own spirit inside of you that he formed you in your mother's womb. The Bible says that you have been made for greatness. That when we were made at the beginning of time, the beginning of this world, Jesus... God, He made us higher than all the animals, higher than even the angels. But we fell. And the only way you can be great again is to be born again by the Great I Am, to allow His Spirit to once again come inside of you and be in right relationship with God. Give up and turn from the way you define your life, and let Jesus redefine you and your purpose, your aim, your ambition. So, with every head bowed, every eye closed, perhaps you're here. Today.